Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Remember, Remember, That Time I Got Cancer. I'm your host, Erica, and this is episode 17. We are almost to the halfway point. I am feeling awesome. Uh, Sorry if I'm a little bit hoarse today. I just finished up a 10K, oh, a little over an hour ago, but I suppose my voice also just isn't warmed up yet today. I guess I could have thought about doing vocal warm-ups, but it is too late for that now because I am like a minute into this recording and there is no turning back. So today I think it's going to be a lighter episode um, because I am going to be talking about dating woes, uh, mostly because I have a pretty great story that, that culminates in the time that I had cancer And I think to really appreciate how comically bad my taste in men is, we're just going to go through all the subtext. And I mean it when I say historically my taste in men has been just almost non-existent. It's like I didn't care who I was dating, at least who I was dating casually. I'm reasonably confident that I won't be in contact with these are the three men that I'm going to be talking about. And either way, I won't mention any of them by name. Maybe I'll give them pseudonyms or maybe I'll just switch their names around and you'll never know. Anyways, for for real context, the first guy that I dated in England, and this was actually back in 2012, you would think that being in England somehow improved my dating prospects or if not being in England, at least being in a city. Oh no. So the first guy that I went out on a really a blind date with I waited at the Tate Modern for him for over an hour and a half. It might have been two hours. Did I wander the exhibits? No, I literally just waited for him in the sort of lobby area. And then as we were going through the museum, we were in a room full of Picassos and he very loudly announces, you know, these are kind of familiar. I I think I should recognize this artist, but I guess I guess I don't. But I feel like it's kind of familiar. We were in a room full of Picassos, and everybody heard him. What? I should have, like, walked out right then. I should have been putting those breadsticks in my purse. I'm so sorry. I just got a call. I have to go, but I didn't. That date actually went on for several more hours. The rest of it was better, but he certainly wasn't a person that I was going to see a second time. So, no, being in London did not really improve my dating prospects. Even though I was looking reasonably hard, I wanted to be able to stay, and frankly, the easiest way is a marriage visa, and even that isn't particularly easy. Not that I wanted, like, a fake marriage, but if I could have conveniently fallen in love and gotten a visa, you know, all all to the good. Fast forward to when I am living in England with Emily and Rachel, and I start seeing a guy, sort of, who I had met on a dating site. We started talking on the dating site before I even moved. We really hit it off. I thought we had great chemistry. And I, I still think we had great chemistry, but he just was a workaholic and making time for us to get to know each other wasn't a priority, but he was the kind of guy who was a hundred percent there for like things you needed. So it was great because, you know, we had just moved to the city and he gave us two bags full of, of kitchen supplies, you know, things that we would need. This was great. You know, not having to spend a ton of money to fill up our kitchen was 
really handy. Now, there were some things we needed to buy, of course, but he gave us a good start. But I wasn't super smart about acquiring these things. So he and I met up for lunch one day uh, in, in part of central London, and he was like, okay, so the stuff is in a storage unit. I follow this man that I don't really know, who I've only now just met for the first time. I follow him through a series of sort of quiet, unpopulated roads to a storage unit building. Then I go into the storage building with him all the way to his storage unit. It only occurred to me. No, that's a lie. It occurred to me early that this was a bad, dumb thing to do. But I didn't change my trajectory. I'm smarter now. But did I die? No. And I got a bunch of kitchen things. A number of those things, I believe, are still in use by Emily, but I don't have proof of that. Doesn't matter. So he was great. You know, we texted pretty often. I think we texted like every day, but we only saw each other a couple of times, even though I was there for a year and a half. You know, there came a point when I I realized that waiting for, for this guy was silly. It was not a good idea especially if I wanted that good, good marriage visa. (laughs) So I got on the dating sites again, and I was pretty picky, but a guy asked me out who seemed pretty chill, and so I went and met up with him. And the first date was, like, really typical. Like, we got drinks, and we talked, and he talked about himself a lot. You know, the kind of guy that's just into themselves? Like, he was a rower, Which part of me is like, ooh, that's a very posh sport, but he was too into it. Like, he really thought it made him, like, hot shit because he was a rower. He also had, like, wrestler's neck, which is not a, mm, like, I try not to be judgy about appearance, but, like, that sort of neck that wrestlers have is not my thing. Anyways, it's fine. And then we're sort of heading out. This is when we were still living in Plasto. Towards the end of then, because that we saw each other once more after I was in Plasto. But he walked me to uh, the bus stop, which would get me back to home because we were on our date in Stratford. And we're waiting for the bus. And just as I see my bus pull up, he starts making out with me. Which, like, a bus stop is not a great place to be sucking face. It's awfully public. And not, I don't know, it was weird. So he's like making out with me pretty insistently. And I keep trying to pull away because the bus is now the doors are open. I need to get on the bus. And it occurs to me that this guy is trying to make me miss my bus. And I sort of like insistently push him away and I get on the bus. (laughs) And that should have been the end of that. But it wasn't. A couple weeks later, I'm not sure how much longer, but it was to my memory after we had moved from Plasto to Catford and he asked me out again. It was not an it was not a case where we agreed to see each other. It was a he asked me out on a date. I say, okay, let's do it. Let's meet up in in like the Leicester Square area. So it's, it's just after he's gotten off work. I don't think I had work that day or if I did... I don't quite remember. It doesn't matter. But we meet at a pub near his work to have a drink. This is, I don't understand getting drinks before dinner at a place where you're not eating. 
I just don't think I enjoy alcohol enough to sit and just drink. Maybe, I don't know. It's just not my thing. So he invites me to get a drink. He buys my drink. I don't even, I don't even remember what I had. I don't even remember what I had because it doesn't matter. And I do remember it felt like we were hanging around this pub forever before he was finally like, oh, do you want to get dinner? Yes. Is this not a date? Getting a drink to me is not a date. Getting a drink is getting a drink. If it's a date, there should be an activity or a meal planned. Anyways, we start wandering around the Leicester Square area looking for a meal. And I'm looking at places like Bella Italia or or similar, similarly priced places. Somewhere where I could get a meal for 12 or 14 pounds. Because I didn't know if he was intending to pay or not. But even if he was, I didn't want him to spend a ton of money. And if he wasn't, I didn't want to spend a ton of money. So... I'm, I suggest a couple of times like a Bella Italia or something in that price range. He wants to go to Steak and Co. Now Steak and Co. is very cool because your steak comes where it's been seared on the outside, but it comes to you on a steak stone so that you can sort of cut your individual pieces, cook them to your desired doneness and eat them as they are perfectly sizzly and hot. It's amazing and delicious. And one day I will own a steak stone, but it is pricey because it's all steak and it's really good. But I figure if he's insisting on this pricier restaurant, he asked me on the date, I figure he's buying. So I agree. We go in and take a seat and he's like, oh, shall we get a bottle of wine? And I sort of say, if you want, I had never had a man order a bottle of wine on a date before. He orders a red. It was at a time in my life where I didn't really drink red. I drank it because it was there, but I didn't particularly enjoy it. That's not important. So we are there. We're having our little date. We get through the date. I pick like the second least expensive steak on the menu. Fine. We're to the end of the date. The food is gone. The wine is at least mostly gone and nothing is happening. And I want this awkward moment to pass. And so I say, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, which is code for... I'm not sure what's happening, but I'm hoping that while I'm gone, you either decide or deal with it. As I stand up, he says, oh, are we just going to split this then? I never would have come to a restaurant that was this expensive if I had known we were splitting. I don't know why you would invite someone to an expensive restaurant and not tell them that you were planning on splitting. I would have put my foot down about where we were eating because we could have eaten somewhere like a Bella Italia where my tab would have been like 14 pounds and not like, oh, now 24. And I sort of smile and say, oh yeah, of course. And so we leave the restaurant. I'm already like pretty turned off by this guy and his whole shtick, spiel, whatever. And we take a walk down to Trafalgar Square and we're holding hands and it's fine. And and we get down there and it's now after dark and Trafalgar Square is pretty quiet, though not abandoned because it's Trafalgar Square. And he starts making out with me again. Something which I found incredibly unimpressive and it just, I don't know, I didn't feel good about it. It wasn't good kissing. So he's making out with me and I start to realize He's lifting the back of my skirt. We are in public, sir. And after I had to twice reach behind me and 
pull his hand away from my skirt or off of my ass, I was like, okay, I'm really done with this. And basically was like, I have to go home now. Goodbye. So how does this all tie in to the fact that I had cancer? Well, sometime between my admission to Lewisham and the date of my surgery, this guy starts texting me again. He wants to go out. He wants to hang out. He wants me to come over and watch movies, which, shut up, that's not what you want. And I try to put him off nicely. I say, oh, I'm really busy. Oh, I don't have time. And I tell him, like, look, I'm, I've been in the hospital. I have a tumor. It's probably cancer. I don't have time for you. And I remember vividly, I get this text back. I could make you feel better, winky face. I have cancer. There's nothing you and your wrestler-necked penis can do that is going to make me feel better about this situation. And I never texted him back again. But the story doesn't end there because I was still really into the guy that I had been seeing sort of most of the time that I was in England. And what was interesting, interesting is a bad word, but he also was a cancer survivor and he knew better than most people that I knew what I was experiencing. Now he and I had two very different cancers and it wasn't the same. And, and, and his, Situation had been much more severe than mine, but no, no one else that I was very, very close to, I don't think could could relate um, to what was what was happening. And so we stayed in touch after I left, and through my treatment, he was sort of the one on the other end of the phone, being like, "No, you cannot sit home all day again. You have to go out and do something. You have to." You have to try. You can't just sort of succumb to how crappy the chemo is making you feel. You've got you've to gotta get out and live your life. And it was definitely at a time when I needed someone to tell me that. Because really no one else was. Everyone else was so focused on keeping me comfortable, making me feel better, that they weren't going to give me that dose of reality that you need to help yourself a little bit. So he remained really important to me. And I even, when I was in Buffalo for my cousin's wedding, uh, Emily and John had road tripped with us. They were in the country. They had road tripped up with us. They went to Niagara Falls and Rachel was my plus one to the wedding. And we were going to go to the north side of Niagara Falls to do some just silly touristy stuff the day after the wedding. And I was texting this guy because he was from Canada and I said, hey, I'm in your country. And he replied with, hey, so am I. And so we drove like five hours to see him. And it was amazing. And we stayed in touch and we stayed in touch. And every time I've been back, I have visited him. And then I feel like it was about a year ago, he stopped answering my texts. I had reached out to him like twice since then, we would chat for a day and then back to the ghosted state. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, 
he reached out to me and had the nerve to say he was worried about me. <sighs> Boy, I wish I didn't still have feelings for him. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in today. And um, thanks also to Julius H. for this song, Beltane, which I found on Pixabay. Also, please remember, I still want to do an Ask Me Anything episode. So if you have any questions, you can send it to my email. That's ericaleeconklin at gmail.com. Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A, Lee, L-E-E, Conklin, C-O-N-K-L-I-N, at gmail.com. Now, before I go, don't forget, support single-payer healthcare, go get your damn vaccines, COVID-19 is real, and thanks to the NHS for supporting my continued existence. See you tomorrow. <laughs>